We have no idea what it is like to be in a nation that is under full attack. In Europe, of course, they went through that on multiple occasions. And uh, I think our nation is beginning to wake up a little bit. The Chinese balloon last week, uh, spy balloon, and understanding more of what's been going on over the last few years, I think has awakened a lot of America to the reality that things are not in a status quo position. But that's one thing to be worried about what might happen. It's another thing to see uh, the armies of the Nazi power uh, encroaching upon uh, France and then up to your, uh, the coastline there. And then of course having the Luftwaffe, the, uh, Air, uh, their Air Force coming and bombing your very land. I mean, we just don't know what that's like. And I don't know what would happen to America, to be honest with you, if uh, they were under that kind of pressure. But one of the famous statements of, uh, of history during that time was made by Winston Churchill. And it still stirs us. It's just a human reality, but it certainly shows a quality that is very important. And you could almost quote this yourself. We shall go to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and going, growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We will fight on the landing grounds. We, sh we shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, that our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. That great statement shows a determination to the end and, of course, a very clear challenge to America to get involved. Uh, uh, that was part of that. But that kind of determination we admire in the human realm. But that kind of perspective of not running from trials and seeing it through is a far more important spiritual perspective. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. The book of Ruth chapter 1. Right in the middle of the period of the judges. In fact, in the earlier part of the book uh, as far as the chronology there. We as believers need to be like what the Apostle Paul admonished in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. The situation in Israel wasn't good at this time because of their disobedience. They did not believe God to drive out all the Canaanites, so they were left as thorns in their side, so to speak. <clears throat> they allowed the world, the religions of the world, to dominate their culture. Remember, folks, idol worship was simply an excuse to fulfill the passions of the flesh. And, uh, and so the desire of the Israelites was just to do their own thing. They did not follow spiritual leadership. They needed political enforcement of the law. And tragically, the priesthood had been become corrupt. And we see that ultimately played out at the end of the book of uh, Judges into 1 Samuel uh, with uh, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and uh, in, 
just unbelievable corruption there. And so set in this time is a period of time in which God was not allowing the blessing of his to be upon the land of Israel. God is continually working in our lives. God is good. Uh, God chastens us for our own good to deliver us from ourselves. And it's ironic that this, the majority of this uh, book takes place in the town of Bethlehem. And of course, we think of Christ and his birth, but this would be the town of uh, his lineage. And it means, as you know, the house of bread. But there was a famine going on because God was, was uh, working. And even the godly were having to suffer because of the ungodly. So look with me here at verses 1 to 5. I want us to look at this matter, and it's so tempting, and it's such a crucial issue all of our lives, to run from the things that God allows in our lives to shape us, mold us, and also just the consequences even of other people's sins. Verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, uh, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. And Malan and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Elimelech met, my God is king, but certainly he did not show forth that kind of heart. Here was a man, and he might have been able to sound good in his rationalization to try to protect his family, but he was walking by sight and not by faith. Can't tell you how many Christians over the years that I've known that have made crucial, life-changing decisions based upon what seemed like common sense versus faith. Can't tell you how many students I've seen make life-changing decisions based upon sight, situations, rather than biblical principles and faith. You see, when trouble comes to our life, we either endure it, and that's going to be, as we see here with Naomi, will bring bitterness, or we escape it like Elimelech did with his family, or we enlist it. In other words, we embrace it for what God is endeavoring to do in our life. And so... This one whose name said, my God is king, did not believe God. He made a tragic mistake here. A distinguished painter was conducting a class on painting and, uh, for aspiring artists. And he was speaking on the subject of artistic composition. He emphasized it was wrong, for example, to portray a woodland uh, or forest or a wilderness without painting into it a path out of the trees. When a true artist draws any kind of picture, say a landscape, this, this artist says, he always gives picture, the picture an out. <laughs> Otherwise, the tangle of trees and trackless spaces depress and, dispa and, and uh, dismay the onlooker. 
we naturally in our human makeup, our fallen human makeup, need a way out. Do you ever like to be hemmed in? Do you ever like to be sort of caught in a closed space and you don't know a way out or you feel pressed? Well, there's an automatic desire for escape. Abraham, uh, remember when he went into the land and there was a famine, uh, what did he do? Believe God and God delivered him. Now he escaped to Egypt. He escaped another time to Philistia. Both times, uh, he hurt the testimony of the Lord. Now, as we're going to see, God gives us opportunities to move forward. But that doesn't seem like the same Abraham of Jehovah Jireh, does it? You see, he learned his lessons that God will provide. And young people, you've got to understand, every one of you have within you, deep in you, the desire to escape. Haven't you been in a pressured time, maybe academically and all, and you've been... You sort of dream if I could just fly away. I remember I was going through a trial. I was out at the Oakwood Park studying, and uh, it was some years ago, and it was like pressure was coming from other, uh, other sides. And you know when you're in real trouble when you are jealous of birds. <laughs> I mean, that shows you you're in a really difficult mental state at that point. I'm looking at birds, they can just fly away, you know. And I'm thinking how nice that would be, and then, of course, no, that would not be good. Um, they got a bird brain, so I, you know, at least I, I've got half of a brain. But, uh, but I remember thinking about that. And, but it is, it's just, I mean, a good man like Abraham, Genesis 12, 10, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. It was his common sense escape. See, faith sees the impossible. It believes the incredible. And receives the impossible. You'll never receive and see the miracles of God if you escape. All you're going to see is the weakness of the world and the strength of our flesh. You're going to live based upon emotions. You're going to live based on the disappointment. And you're going to be prone to blame everybody else for your problems. That's just a principle of life. Faith is to accept the impossible then. Do without the indispensable and bear the intolerable. And so we need to stay in the faith range, not faithless. Like the poem says, doubt sees the obstacles, faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step, faith soars on high. Doubt question, who believes? Faith answers, I. Now, young people, everything about your life is going to be based on whether or not you're going to see life spiritually and eternally and take steps of faith. I mean, it is going to get down to that. And every time you make a decision based upon your desires and you escape or try to get around what God's doing in your life, you will always regret that. Now, God's gracious. He'll work as we see in, in this passage here. And uh, he is constantly uh, endeavoring to strengthen you in your life. But... Uh, if you continue to make those kind of decisions, it has disastrous consequences. So he majored on the physical and not the spiritual. And, uh, well, he had to provide bread, did he not? There was a famine in the land. But remember, God had always promised to take care of his people. A lot of the people there stayed and then saw God deliver. <clears throat> what was the first temptation of Satan with Jesus in the wilderness? 
bread. You know, our basic needs is where we often are pressured the most. And so he was pressure, Christ was pressured to satisfy his hunger rather than walk by faith and please the heavenly father. And so here Elimelech did not trust his king. He did not value spiritual development. Uh, David's witness shows that you can trust the Lord. I have been young and now I'm old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants baking bread. Uh, a begging, excuse me, begging bread. Uh, it, is, it is a thrill when you look over the years to see how God provides for his people. But Elimelech would not believe that. A teacher was uh, reading to her class the text, my yoke is easy. And then she said, who can tell me what a yoke is? The boy said, a yoke is something they put on the necks of their animals. Then the teacher asked, well, what is the yoke God uh, puts on us? And the little girl said, it is God putting his arms around our neck. And there's a lot of depth to that thought. That trial, that yoke, that pressure is actually God saying, I care about you so much that I'm letting you go through this. I'm going to reveal myself to, to you. I'm going to overcome your character issues. I'm going to overcome the problems in your life. You could never go forward without this. And many times it's just simply the circumstances of life that, can, that come, but God makes it then his developmental work in your life. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Dr. Davidson was visiting the... Noted uh, poetess uh, Myra Brooks Welsh, you would know her masterpiece, The Touch of the Master's Hand. And as he turned to leave the home, uh, Myra Welsh patted the arm of her wheelchair and said, and I thank God for this. Imagine being grateful for a wheelchair, but her talent lay in undiscovered prior to her wheelchair days. Rather than becoming bitter, she chose a better way. And what a ministry she had. Fanny Crosby is just one of the most obvious examples. Now she said, do not ever feel sorry for me. I would not be living the life I'm living and have what I have and have given what I have given were it not be for, well, for my blindness. You see, we want things to be our way. But God has a beautiful way and you never have to fear it. And then what was so tragic, whenever we take our own way, we escape. We do the common sense thing. We rationalize because we say, well, this is a responsible thing to do. But it wasn't a matter of faith. We often then follow the world's way and become part of the enemy. Going 50 miles to neighboring Moab, Moab uh, he abandoned God's land for the people of the enemy. I've stood there many a time on the Israeli side of uh, the Dead Sea, Jordan, and looked over to those high mountains that uh, are on the other side uh, of that big, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the big valley there, and I looked over there, and you can just see it just sort of feels like that's where the enemy is. Of course, <laughs> In the Arab-Israeli conflict, that definitely has been many times where the enemy uh, was. Well, he went to that. And remember, the Moabites were descendants from Lot's incestuous union with his firstborn daughter. 
And they were enemies because of how they treated Israel on going into the land. They invaded Israel and ruled 18 years, you remember, uh, during the time of the judges. They were a proud people, and God calls them, Moab is my washpot, a picture of a humiliated nation washing the feet of, a, of conquering soldiers. And, um, and so tr they, uh, trusting worldly ways will soon get you into a union with the world and its system. Now, young people, I, I've said this, but I want to say it again. You live in a culture that is now fully dominated. Now, a vast majority, I wouldn't say majority more, but a large minority of, of people in America don't follow this completely, but they're deeply affected by it. But our country now is unapologetically a progressive nation based upon an evolutionary concept of our origin with a non-theist perspective on the decisions that we should make. And so therefore, if you follow the evolutionary line of thinking, moving away from the old and going to the new is always going upward because of the evolutionary power. We as believers know moving away from what is right and going toward what we want, many times progressivism is nothing but a terrible decline, which you have seen in cultures over and over and over. And what we understand, the secular world's gonna think that. They think the moral revolution. How many times have you heard, you, you gotta get with history. You gotta get with the program. We're moving away from the old-fashioned norms. We're going into what's gonna make utopia. Oh yeah. People die more than ever with drug problems. There are so much heartache and mental problems across this. There are more wars than there have ever been in the history of the world. Progressivism is not working, but you can't, you can't uh, get people to believe that. Well, here's what's tragic. Now, please listen to me. When a young person of your age escapes from God's working in their life, escapes from the Word of God, and makes a practical, common sense decision to do what they want to do rather than trusting God, you then begin to be affected by the world. And I promise you, you will get the same, I hate to use the word progressive because it isn't progressive, but that progressivist mentality of the world. I mean, when you went to Moab, you started thinking like Moab. And when you get out of God's will, you're going to start thinking like the world, which, as James 4 says, is the enemy of God. And we become the enemy of God. And you find today, with a lot of college young people that are in supposedly fundamental colleges, they think that progress is moving away from the old conservative norm and getting with the program of the more uh, progressive state. And so they're embracing part of wokeism. They're embracing a lifestyle that is not biblical. They throw off the norms of clear holy living, all in the name of moving forward. It's moving away from the Word of God, folks. And you can buy into that when you're walking in the flesh. I hope you got what I just said. I gave a quick little lecture that could take hours to give. But this whole spirit of the world is is powerfully dominant. It is in every part of the world. And uh, you've got to realize, I mean, for us to get to the state that the Grammys on Sunday 
celebrated the two artists, uh, transgender artists, uh, worshiping Satan with fire and everything on the platform, and that was hailed as a tremendous uh, presentation. We are in trouble. CBS News, a couple of days before that presentation, they were the ones doing that. They wrote and they said, I talked about the great number that they're going to be doing and we can't, can't wait to worship with you. And they were worshiping Satan unapologetically. That's where it's going and going fast. Young people, you've got to understand, when you, start, when you escape, you are escaping to an anti-God world. Oh, I won't go that far. No, you won't go that far. But you'll start thinking out of the full realm of biblical thinking. And always, in any student body, there is someone who feels like, I've got it together. I understand. You know, we don't need to be old-fashioned anymore. We just need to get with the program. Yes, we need to believe the fundamentals, but. And, um, and I'm telling you, the minute you get outside of God's will, you start lining up with a world that hates God. And don't trust yourself. We often go there to 1 Corinthians 10. When you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. And so it puts you into opposition of, of the world. Centuries ago, William Law wrote, uh, wrote, and he warned that the world is now a greater enemy to the Christian than it was in apostolic times. It is a greater enemy because it has greater power over Christian by his favors, riches, honors, rewards, and protection than it had by the fire and fury of its persecution. It is a more dangerous enemy by having lost its appearance of enmity. We're back to the enmity now. Its outward, outward profession of Christianity makes it no longer considered an enemy. And therefore, the people are easily persuaded to resign themselves up to the government and be directed by it. And that's been the problem of the mentality that we are a Christian nation. And so think of the, the passivity and apathy in our country over these last several decades. It isn't. The world is not. The nation is not a Christian nation. And young people, you've got to wake up to it. And yet... We're seeing wholesale sellout in evangelicalism and fundamentalism to the spirit of this age. And we wonder why our nation is moving fast, faster and faster toward destruction. That's why when we cry out, cry out for revival, folks, it is just getting back to walking by faith. Well, unfortunately, they suffered the evil consequences and they didn't get blessing. Elimelech... King was not his God. His wife became very weak, and we're going to quickly look at that in a moment. And his boys were ruined and died. What a tragic thing. I've been reading a, a, a biography of Gypsy Smith, and it's amazing when you read about the gypsies and all uh, that he came out of that. But you know what the secret for Gypsy Smith was? His dad was gloriously converted and his two uncles, and they became bold proclaimers of the Word of God. And he wrote, uh, he was at a rotary meeting in Illinois years ago, and a man wrote that was there, I was sitting next to him at the speaker's table when suddenly, just before he arose to speak, he asked me to mark carefully his closing words. When the moment arrived, he lifted high his well-worn Bible. 
How many of you men can recall a saintly mother and a godly father who loved this book, read it, lived it, and it seeped into you? Practically the entire group with moist eyes raised their hands. Then quietly, Gypsy Smith swung, his, swung home deftly the shaft. With all your influence today, how many of you are so living that your children will remember you for your faithfulness to this same book? It was a tense moment. No hand was raised. And young people, you're making a choice right now about how your children are going to remember you if God tarries. Right now, right now, if the truth were known about you to your children some years down the road from what you are right now, would that propel them to be godly men and women? And you are, you are setting up the foundation for the kind of life that you're going to live. And so running, running from the pressures, not facing the consequences, making the practical decisions instead of the faith decisions, you are now setting up the groundwork for disaster. And remember, God had said, you are not to marry Gentile women, and especially those of Moab and Ammon. Who were the ones that caused great destruction to Israel when they were over in that region? It was the Moabite women put under the, pre uh, uh, under the leadership of uh, uh, the Moabite king with uh, Balaam's uh, advice. And they seduced Jewish men into idolatry and immorality, and 24,000 men died, or people died. That's big. That's in Numbers 25, 9. And that was a direct... And so marrying Moabitish women, uh, Elimelech's move brought his generation into direct disobedience to God, and they were destroyed. Poor Naomi, no husband, no sons. Now let's focus on Naomi for a minute. We have just but a few minutes. I'll just, uh, won't read all of the verses coming up here, but we see deception. Uh, verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she wanted to do right, and she had a heart to get right with Jehovah God. Is that what it says there? No. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. You don't see any repentance in chapter 1. You don't see anything about what she did right. In fact, all you do is see covering. And so she wanted... She needed to be back in the place of God's blessing, uh, but she needed to have the motiv motivation to be right with God. Many of you have heard in jo of John and Betty Stam, and uh, they were in a prayer meeting uh, in 19... Uh, they were martyred in 1934 in a prayer meeting prior to that. And uh, in that prayer meeting, there were a lot of people saying, God bless this ministry, God bless us over here. And then... Uh, then, then the prayer went up. Lord, we've asked you to bless all these things, but please, Lord, make us blessable. <laughs> make us blessable. And so we must understand that when we disobeyed the Lord and departed from his will, we must return to the place of blessing for the right motive. Now, 
How many, well, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you know that it's really a blessed thing to be right with God? Yeah, you may not be right with God right now, but you know that's a good place. But the motive to feel good is not the reason to get right with God. The reason to get right with God is God. Because of who he is, he is worthy. And so her motive was wrong. She, she just wanted her needs met. And again, wasn't that the practical thinking that had led them out of uh, Israel? Remember, when you make decisions for the Lord with selfish motives, you're going to just do whatever your selfish motives will be down the road. When you get right with God, you need to be thoroughly right with God and get into a full and complete surrender to him and where you agree with him. And that conscience of yours is fully dealt with by the spirit of God and you have genuine freedom. Now, isn't it interesting? The two girls went with her in verse 8 and she said to them, go return each to her mother's house, the Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Now what in the world was she doing? Israel had the true God. She would be sending them back to the wicked gods of the Moabites. She would be absolutely um, making it impossible for them to have eternal life. And yet, probably the reason she did this, she knew better than this, was she was trying to cover up her disobedience to her family and friends in Bethlehem because if she brought in Moabite women, hmm, it would be very clear where, uh, what, how fully acclimated they had gotten into uh, Moabite culture. Young people, when we try to cover our sins, it's proof that we really haven't faced them honestly and judged them according to God's word. Now, we don't need to, we must not run from our trials. But when God starts working and we begin to come back, that's why, again, you hear the term, empty the truck. I mean, be honest, open, and don't Try to cover. There's nothing worse than false piousness. I mean, it, honestly, you can even cry. But down deep, you know you're not really dealing with the real issue. That you still have attitudes that aren't right. And this is something that, that it, it's so important to be thoroughly right with God. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And it's really tragic. She does not present the Lord here in a positive light. And, uh, and the responses of Ruth and Orpah were really something. Orpah goes back to the enemy. What a tragic consequence of uh, Naomi's still wrong attitude. But Ruth exceeds her mother-in-law by determining to follow Jehovah. And, of course, a Moabite couldn't even go to the, temple of the, or the, to the tabernacle of the congregation for ten generations. That's how deeply uh, abominable the people had gotten in their worship. And yet she comes, and God blesses her. And, um, and so I didn't read all of that. I want to go just to the final point. And that is that when you run from trials, 
When God's gracious to allow consequences of life or maybe his direct chastening to happen in your life, you have to be willing to not be deceptive. You've got to be thoroughly honest with God. And then you've got to make sure that you deal with bitterness in your heart. She actually blamed God. This is amazing to me. Look with me at verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt with me, dealt very bitterly with me. I've been out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? On the first look, that can look like she's being somewhat open about her situation. But to call herself Mara instead of uh, showing any reality of the grace of God, I believe clearly initially here she had a blame in her heart for her trials. She had down deep was accusing God of creating the evil in her life. What she should have said, my husband and I sinned, and these are the consequences that can come from that, that we know, blessed be the name of God. But God sent me out empty. Now she knows God's dealing with her. A Scottish preacher George Morrison said, nine-tenths of our unhappiness is, un is selfishness, and is an insult cast in the face of God. Listen, when you've got problems in your life, most of those have come because you've not believed God. There are consequences. And yet, when we fail of the grace of God, as Hebrews 12 says, the root of bitterness comes into our heart. My friends, it's not your parents. It's not anybody in your life. It's not your friends. It's not authorities in your life that have caused your problems when you have... Uh, uh, not done what God has wanted you to do, skirt around and rationalize when it came to the right response to the pressures in your life. Um, it's, you've got to take responsibility yourself or you will never get the blessing that God wants. And, uh, and so she needed to get to the place where she understood that she was responsible. And then she just neglected to thank the Lord. Now, she came out empty, but she ought to be thankful she was alive. Number one, that was a blessing. Uh, but God, you know, God had kept her. And she not only had life, but she had opportunities, surrounded by friends and family that really cared about her and loved her. And one of her richest resources was she had a godly or God-fearing daughter-in-law who's seeking the Lord. What a tremendous blessing, but that was a bit of an embarrassment. But most of all, Naomi still had Jehovah. So she should have said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And uh, she didn't have that kind of heart. Well, I just felt burdened to give this because obviously we talk about the pressures that come with schooling. Many of you have pressures above and beyond just the obligations that you have. But when you have that tendency to run, my friends, and to manipulate and make things happen yourself, just understand you will reap what you sow. 
to not run from God. But what is really encouraging is that if you'll be honest about your sin, if you will be honest about um, the uh, situation that, uh, and your wrong attitudes and so forth, then you have an opportunity for a new beginning. This was the time of spring and then harvest. This was an opportunity for a new life to begin. Naomi was on the brink of being uh, the ancestor of the, of the Davidic line and of the Messiah uh, himself. And so she had a, a true start somewhere, and probably through the emphasis of, of uh, and leadership of Ruth in her life, somewhere, obviously, Ruth, um, Naomi changes here. And so young people, whenever you're tempted to run, whenever you're tempted to deceive, whenever you're tempted to be bitter, that's because you don't believe God, that God will really meet your need. But if you clear things with God, God has a whole... I mean, God can restore everything. I don't care how you've blown it. And God is a new, he is a, the God of new beginnings. And he is ready to take everything you've learned, everything that, that has held you back from the blessing of God. And he'll teach you and grow you. He is patient. You'll have consequences, but those will all turn out to be good for you. And you will have the freshness of a springtime of a new opportunity in life. Don't run away very long because the consequences get harder and harder. And everyone here, you've seen believers where that's happened, right? And it's tragic. And uh, so may God help each of us to face what we have in life and accept God's will and trust him.